Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Wednesday, March 28th. I'm Chris Hurdy. In light of the Me Too and Time's Up movements, Noisy has taken a close look at sexual harassment and misconduct in the music industry. Music journalist Andrea Dominic spoke to more than two dozen women about their experiences in the industry. They're artists and publicists, assistants and executives, spanning both the major label and independent music worlds and across multiple genres. Some have publicly come forward with accusations, while many spoke anonymously. But together, their collective accounts indicate how deeply embedded sexual harassment is in the music industry and how culture and labor conditions create a perfect storm for abuse. Here's Vices and Keita Rao speaking with Andrea on the story. You've been reporting this story for quite some time. How did you first approach this huge topic? Right. Well, I was working on it for a little bit more than two years and on and off. And it was a story that kept developing, of course, with you know, the the emergence of, of Me Too and, and Harvey Weinstein and all that. But but really it started in January twenty sixteen when a few members of the music industry, women actually, began tweeting about uh, misconduct that they had experienced at the hands of a prominent music publicist. And that kind of got us thinking at Noisy, well, why is this happening in the music industry, which is typically thought of as a pretty progressive world? And then what is it that is making these women feel like they have no other recourse but then to turn to Twitter? And then as the story evolved, you know, as, as a year went by, it became a story about, well, what happened to these women after they spoke out? It seemed to be something that disappeared with the headlines. And then, of course, several months later, the Harvey Weinstein story broke and the Me Too movement emerged. And then it became a different story on top of that and where the music industry fit into that. So it, it became um, pretty large in scope. I like to think of it kind of as, a, as an onion that you just you just kind of continue to peel ad infinitum. I think when we think about the Me Too movement and we look at so much of what has happened, some of it seems like it's all the same, but it's not. I mean, this is a very different atmosphere, a different industry. What is it about the music industry that has made this culture more prevalent? Well, it's a lot of things. It's I, I think the music industry, first of all, is a great is a great kind of almost case study, like a social and cultural case study to look at for broader issues of misconduct because it really creates kind of a perfect storm environment for misconduct to take place because it's not it's not a black and white industry it's not you know so cut and dry where where this kind of behavior is restricted to behind the doors of executive suites in in an office environment in fact a lot of what happens takes place outside of an office you know in the music industry there are a lot of blurred lines you know it's a it's an industry based on relationships and connections and who you know and it's very competitive and it's also one that sees a lot of deals kind of sealed you know backstage you know after a show where a lot of drinking takes place and uh you know 
people, you know, kind of cross the lines between work and pleasure and knowing where, you know, the music industry's tradition of kind of sexual liberation ends and sexual misconduct begins is very difficult to parse. And the way I see it is that that also kind of reflects real life, I think, for regardless of your industry. One thing that was really interesting in your piece was that there's also different roles here that come into play. Like you, you talk about how freelancers experience a lot of harassment and also don't have the avenues to report it. Tell me a little bit about what that does to the industry and how many women are affected by this. Really, as I continued to report this story, it became increasingly clear to me that that misconduct is actually a labor issue. And the way that the music industry has decentralized and kind of fragmented, it was already a kind of a fragmented industry historically, but then in the wake of uh, you know, digital disruptions such as Napster and then the recession on top of that, you know, the industry took a real hit. And the way that it's shifted as a result has made it both kind of even more high stakes and competitive because there's there's less kind of money to be thrown around. And on top of that, you have an even greater shift to a freelance labor force like you're seeing in any industry. But what that does is that it creates an environment where there's not a lot of accountability. You definitely will have, you know, a a more senior member of a company, you know, harassing a a more junior member of a company. But what you'll also have is these less clear relationships where it might be, you know, a music publicist and a journalist or a manager and a booking agent. And that, that doesn't really have a clear hierarchy. And so that also means that there's not um, a clear path to recourse for folks who might experience any kind of misconduct. At the same time, you know, even if there was a clear path for recourse because of the the nature of these kinds of relationships, it's not always worth it to a survivor to risk that what could be a, you know, a, a mutually beneficial relationship to go and report someone else. So then what, what you're also seeing is, I, I looked at some some labor data. I mean, one of, the, one of the problems here is there's not a lot of data available, consolidated data, about the people rather than um, the money behind the music industry. I mean, there's not any clear numbers even for something as simple as what the breakdown is for men and women. Um, and that's because the music industry is really music industries. You know, it's a live event industry. It's the recording industry. It's publishing. It's a lot, it's a lot of different components that all depend on one another, but also kind of compete with each other at the same time. So when I was looking at some of this data, what I saw was that um, even though it's historically been a, a heavily contract-based labor force, I mean, the term gig economy is actually thought to be taken from the music industry. It's, you know, gig work, like a show. But the number of freelance workers I found over the past 10 years, that's from 2007 to 2017 in one category, was which is musical groups and artists, increased by more than 100% over the past decade, while at the same time, the number of full-time salaried uh, employees who receive benefits decreased by, I think, about 11%. And similar numbers were found when I looked at the sound recording industries as well. So what that tells us is that these are workers who are, who are left to be vulnerable. I mean, if you look at a contract for a freelance music journalist, for example, there's not necessarily any kind of clear protections written in there that will explain, you know, what what a worker is supposed to do if they experience sexual harassment on the job. There were even some that I looked at that seemed to have language that implied that the company would be protected or immune from from any kind of responsibility if a worker were to, you know, encounter that kind of behavior. Another really interesting thing that I discovered was a loophole 
that applied to to certain kinds of freelance relationships in Title VII protections. Title VII is is part of the federal protection against discrimination, which includes sexual harassment. And that doesn't necessarily apply to a kind of peer relationship, like what I mentioned earlier, like a, a publicist and a music journalist or a booking agent and a manager. That's a peer relationship. And so there's not necessarily any kind of hierarchy there that you could apply to therefore you know, be able to file a discrimination complaint in those situations. So what I found was that you have a growing number of workers in the music industry who are vulnerable to misconduct and other kinds of labor issues that they might encounter on the job. How did this change your relationship with reporting on the music industry? Because obviously you have a lot of connections and people you've spoken with, and then you've spent two years sort of looking at this kind of virus. How have you felt about reporting on music now? I found that people are actually quite, while 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 they're very wary to speak with me about this kind of stuff on the record, there's a, there's a pretty big appetite to at least voice their experiences and concerns kind of from all sides, um, at least, you know, on background. It, it's it's very delicate and there's a lot of trust that it requires. And I've spent uh, a lot of time working hard to build that trust and I'm very grateful for what I've been given. But it's, my, my approach as a reporter was really to, to understand why this is happening. It's not so simple as, you know, a few bad apples necessarily. I think, I think, when you look at someone who is a predator or who's had allegations levied against them in the music world, I think that's really more of a symptom of a larger, much more complex systemic problem that itself is the disease. And I think there's an understanding that this this world is a lot more complex than, than somebody in power being given the pass over and over again. I mean, one thing I've been asked a lot and that I'm hearing a lot is, well, where is the music industry's Weinstein? We've had our Weinsteins. We've had R. Kelly. We've had Chris Brown. Um, I mean, the list can go on. And these are just artists who have had, not just artists, but others in the industry who have had actual charges against them. And many of them are still, you know, they still have contracts with record labels. They're still touring. They still have fans. So so what, what does that tell people about the efficacy of speaking out? I mean, this has been... Um, an issue in the music industry for decades. A lot of what we consider sexual misconduct now is something that in the past has been written off as rock star behavior. And I think that's something that makes it very, very tricky to touch because what it really is doing is kind of opening a Pandora's box. Awareness is obviously the first step in it. What a lot of what we talk about today is focused on. But have you seen any of these record labels or anyone in the industry take those steps or hopefully leaps towards making it a safer place? Some steps are starting to be taken. I know the the Recording Academy has uh, recently put in place a kind of diversity task force. You know, diversity is one thing that's being talked about a lot as a potential solution to some of these issues. Because if, if if it's all basically you know, these these kind of powerful men at the top of the industry, which it is, it's it's hard to have others' experiences reflected. So that's one step I've seen taken. You're seeing a lot of grassroots initiatives, like one called Safer Scenes, that is provides bystander intervention training at music festivals like Vans Warped Tour. But I think it's still, the problem is so complex and it's so fundamentally bound to the nature of the industry itself that solutions are going to be much more complicated than something like instilling better HR policies. It has to do with a culture. It has to do with how people talk to each other. 
It has to do with a lot of like fear and silence that I think is ruling the industry. And I think having conversations between each other and talking about those complexities is not something that anyone in any industry should shy away from. I think dialogue is where it starts. And I think the music industry, because of its its past legacy as a very progressive industry, is really quite well positioned to lead this kind of change because we're not boxed in, because there's not you know, clear-cut rules. And I think that's a good thing. It's led to some bad things, but I think that can be very powerful as well. To read Andrea's full article, go to noisy.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And tune in again on Friday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.